Welcome to From What If to What Next, the podcast where your imaginative life, so often ignored and unvalued by others, is embraced and serenaded and made to feel very special and cared for. Because this podcast is all about imagination, our shared collective imagination, and why it matters so very, very much in our lives today. The great Robin D.G. Kelly put it beautifully. He wrote, When movements have been unable to clear the clouds, it has been the poets, no matter the medium, who have succeeded in imagining the colour of the sky, in rendering the kinds of dreams and futures social movements are capable of producing. Knowing the colour of the sky is far more important than counting clouds. So that's what we're here to do, to help you imagine the colour of the sky, as it were, but we are only able to do so with your help. If you're listening to this and you're not already a subscriber, please do consider becoming one. It's not much, and it really helps us to keep doing this. You get these podcasts the moment they're released, plus bonus episodes and much more. Find out more at patreon.com slash from what if to what next. Thank you. Usually our podcasts aren't that topical. You can hopefully listen to them at any time and, and they're still relevant. Today's is a little different. It's being released just six days before the beginning of COP26, the vitally important climate summit happening in Glasgow. The world's governments will be coming together for two weeks to hopefully reach some kind of binding agreement that might give the world at least a fighting chance of preventing runaway climate change. There's one problem, though, that we want to explore here on this podcast. On a planet where over half the population is female, the leadership team put together by the UK government who are hosting these talks is almost exclusively male. Yes, you heard that right. And yet, climate change is an issue that impacts women more than men. It disproportionately impacts their livelihoods, the levels of violence they face, their educational opportunities and much, much more. We know that involving the diversity of a population in making big decisions that affect them can lead to far greater public support, not to mention better ideas. Research also shows that women understand climate change better than men and more open to making are more open to change to, and to big ideas and bring a more compassionate approach to decision making. Our question, therefore, for today is, what if the leadership team for COP26 were 50% women? I'm joined today by two brilliant women, both part of Hashtag She Changes Climate, a campaign aiming to get the UK government to rethink the leadership team for the talks. Namira Hamid is the founder of Women in Energy Pakistan, a professional network for women in energy, climate and the broader power sector with a reach of 5,000 female professionals in the sector and a presence across all major cities in Pakistan. Through WIE, Namira works to build a strong community of female professionals and foster a culture of career and leadership development. With over seven years of international experience, Namira works in the nexus of energy, climate and policy in London, UK. Her new stream of work with Climate 2049 primarily revolves around creating an urgency towards climate justice, where it currently has a twofold focus. One is local community engagement for climate action, and the second stream is to work towards ensuring climate justice which means that those on the front lines must be engaged in finding solutions. This requires a concerted shift towards a balanced discourse through amplifying voices and leadership of people in the global south on the front lines of climate action and clean energy transition. She formerly served as a policy specialist with the government in Pakistan, working on renewable energy and energy efficiency. And she studied energy, resources and environment at the John Hopkins University School of Advanced International Studies. 
And with a background in law, business, media and corporate finance, Bianca Pitt is an advisor to the environmental charity sector, an activist and campaigner and an environmental funder. She's the founder of the Women of the Environment Network, co-founder of She Changes Climate. She also serves on a number of boards and advisory committees, which include Client Earth, the Environmental Funders Network, the Sustainable Angle, Action for Conservation and Nature 2030. She and her husband endowed the first chair for environmental sustainability at INSEAD, one of the leading business schools. She's a fellow of the RSA and a TEDx speaker. She lives on a farm in West Sussex, which she and her family are turning into a regenerative venture, together with some community farmers, and where she enjoys as much time in nature as possible. Wow. An honour to have you both here. Welcome to From What If to What Next. Thank you so much for having us. Hello, Rob. Thank you so much. I'd like to start with the exercise that we always start this podcast with. So in a moment, I'm going to start up my time machine. You know, I just travelled back from France with it, and having taken it with me to enable some time travelling at some talks I did there, and on the way back on the Euroside, accidentally turned on and transported the entire carriage to the 1920s. Luckily, it didn't last very long. I was able to reset it, but it led to some interesting discussions when people arrived at the customs and people were asked if they had anything to declare. Where do we start? <laughs> uh, most of them said. Anyway, so when I turn it on, the invitation is to make yourself comfortable and to close your eyes, and to imagine that you're travelling forwards to 2030. Not to some kind of utopia, and also not a dystopia, but rather a future that's the result of everything that could possibly have been done during those nine years being done. A time of incredible shift and transition, a future that's now as close to zero carbon as possible, but also fairer, more equal, more celebrating of diversity, one where anything feels possible. It's also a world where, inspired by the example set at COP26 back in 2021, women are now at least 50% of every decision-making body, every board, every leadership team. It's now standard. I'd love you to walk us through that world. How does it feel different? What impressions do you observe as you walk around? What's changed? What's surprising? Uh, Namira, maybe we'll start with you. Thank you. So when I open my eyes in that world, I celebrate women on the leadership roles and boardrooms that make decisions for our collective futures, knowing that we finally realize that it is scientifically proven fact that diverse boards and leadership teams are better at being leaders. Women in leadership roles are better at negotiation, get better results, and can make more inclusive and balanced decisions. And even when I fly from London to my hometown in Pakistan in this new world, women from the global south are not only seen as poor victims of climate change disasters with no agency and no right to sit at decision-making tables. I see my women as agents of change at the forefronts of this fight against climate change, sitting at the table, speaking with the global north and not only being spoken to. I get to live and flourish in a society where my grandmother's wisdom is used for enhancing local adaptive capacity and sustaining a community's livelihood. This means that I also finally stop seeing cover photos of glossy publications by donor-funded programs working you know, in the developing South that glamorize the one-dimensional and tone-deaf coverage of women carrying clay pots on their heads from fields and villages of Africa and South Asia. 
So I take a huge sigh of relief. And coming back to 50% leadership that we would have seen at COP26 in the UK and other forums where decisions are made for our planet, in 2030, I see wisdom from women, either at the forefront of climate change in local community levels or at the leadership tables in global forums. And I see this wisdom, this expertise, this knowledge being given its full due course. And then I take a deep breath and I'm absolutely overcome with relief and gratitude. <laughs> Beautiful. Thank you so much. Uh, uh, Bianca? I'm just amazed with how much has changed since I last looked at the issue of people being left out of leadership roles. And what amazes me most is that people have really understood that we need to give nature the space it deserves and the space it needs to trans to really provide the essential services, infrastructure services, essentially, for us all. So people have understood that they're part of nature and not separated from nature. We understand that technology, for example, is here to serve nature and not to transform nature. Women have really that... that that release of women into leadership uh, that started in 2021 has really supercharged, you know, at the time, supercharged the economy uh, because we know that about apparently, you know, it, it was, it turned out that it was true that, that equalizing the gender gap, that bringing women into leadership would lead to an increase of $12 trillion to the world economy. And that, that, supercharging of the economy led to an investment into new green infrastructure that supports nature. We found that nature was completely regenerated through this process and that we are now back with healthy ecosystems that can provide clean air, clean water, food to the many human beings that are sharing this planet, just as it was intended to do. Also, we are treating everyone and every creature on the planet with the respect that they deserve. So we're not subjugating people anymore. We're not subjugating animals anymore. We're not using them for our purposes. We are actually coexisting with them in peace and harmony. It's astonishing to see how much we've achieved in that one decade that many scientists said was the last decade for action. Scientists had warned us in 2020 that we would reach a state of permanent climate chaos if we did not turn things around. Wise leaders around the world recognized that by bringing new architects on board to transform systems, bringing fresh eyes on board to build a sustainable future by bringing women on board that so far had not been included in leadership, everything would be transformed to all our benefit. And suddenly we feel that as humanity, we will be successful and we can exist on a planet with limited resources. Beautiful. Thank you both so much. So as I said, COP 
starts very soon, and you've both been very involved in the She Changes Climate campaign. So I'd love to start by hearing what drew you to get involved and to hear in your own words why this matters. And also, the campaign wrote to the government in December last year demanding they make the leadership 50% women. What's come of that? Uh, uh, Bianca? So the reason I was I'm here today really was was that I think I think that my journey started as a mother uh, about eleven years ago. I took time off work and um, reading up on what was going on really elsewhere outside my home, outside my office, outside my industry, made me realize that we were heading for for a major crisis, an existential crisis. And um, I decided to do something about it. I set up a network bringing together female environmental philanthropists with CEOs and founders of all women to share their hopes, their vision for a future, share projects that they were working on and to really enable them to collaborate more easily with each other. And that turned out to be a huge success because it was hugely interesting to hear all these women speak about you know, the, what they were working on at the time, but also uh, their passionate ideas for for the future, and um, we were very surprised. And as you can imagine, when in 2020 we found out that the COP that was going to be hosted by the UK, that that leadership that had been chosen for that conference did not include a single woman. How could that be in the 21st century? How could women's voices be be not positively? welcomed in, asked in, you know, sought after, quite frankly. And um, we decided to do something about it. We decided to set up a campaign, She Changes Climate. Over 400 climate leaders and their supporters from around the world uh, signed the letter to government that demanded that government, that, by the way, is a signatory to the so-called Gender Action Plan, uh, which stipulates that we have to have 50% leadership of women for international climate conferences. Um, so demanding that the government actually implements this gender action plan and doesn't just sign it, but actually walks walks the talk. We thought that government would immediately adjust the team. It, it didn't take that much really to do that. Uh, they made some changes, but, but we're still far off from having equal representation at the climate negotiation. So the question is, you know, what, what does that mean for the success of this conference? Can this conference even be successful if it doesn't have fair representation? And, um, yeah, I'll leave the word to Namira to elaborate on that. Thank you so much. I, just to sort of backtrack on my journey, um, so I studied from the United States and moved to Pakistan, and it's, it's the same story, unfortunately, everywhere, where classrooms would have equal representation in women and men in STEM fields. But when we start going up the career ladder, we start seeing women dropping out at each of the levels of that ladder. And it's really, really unfortunate. It's more exacerbated in the global south, but we see the same in, here in the UK. So while I was in Pakistan um, working in the energy sector, we founded the Women in Energy Pakistan Network, just, you know, very humble beginnings to have women come together because in all these, it starts at very small levels. You know, uh, we see, you know, men going out for a smoke break or for a lunch break. And it's in those conversations that new opportunities are shared. And that's where informal networking happens. And 
th- that was the idea behind Women in Energy Pakistan. Okay, we need a place for progression. And slowly we started to become more ambitious about what we wanted to demand from our government at a, a local level. And we started to sort of influence policies and regulations of private companies as well as um, uh, provincial governments where we said, okay, we would appreciate even if there is a quota. And it's, it's a huge, huge debate of, you know, having quotas for women's seats. But in, in, in my experience, I thought it actually made decision makers, it, it forced them to not be lazy anymore. It forced them to seek out women experts because the women experts do exist. Um, they're out there. <laughs> um, it's only a matter of finding the right expert for that seat. And sometimes, you know, from my experience, we thought, okay, when you try to challenge the leadership, um, the sort of all male, sometimes all male and white leadership, you challenge them and you make them say, how do we bring more diversity to this decision-making table? So from our experience in, in, in Pakistan, in South Asia, we, we, we thought that this, this works, sort of having women come together, campaigning um, for, for better leadership, for better representation, for better um, voicing um, our demands. So when I moved to the UK, I was very, very happy to see um, She Changes Climate um, and the work that Bianca and the other founding members have already put into it, and, which is sort of translating the same demands at a, at a global level, because the decisions made in COP26 and other following COPs that affect our futures um, and the future of our planet. So I am just very, very honored to be a part of, a very, very small part of this amazing um, campaign. Fantastic. And uh, Bianca, you've written, uh, when we spoke directly with British civil servants and politicians, they did not see anything wrong with a team that lacked women or that it could be viewed as an embarrassment. Do you feel like the exclusion of women from this leadership team was an oversight? Was it an unrecognised acting out of patriarchy? Was it a deliberate exclusion or what? Why is this still a thing at talks of this importance? It's a very good question, Rob. I think I definitely think we all suffer from that bias. You know, we suffer from many bias, many different biases. But the the clear the clear thing we saw is, and we have I have to say, you know, myself, I wasn't aware of my bias. You know, even women suffer from a bias against women. There, there is that lack of awareness simply of what is limiting our view, what is limiting us uh, as human beings to to embrace diversity, I would say. Um, I don't think this was a deliberate uh, undertaking, but I think it is a catastrophic oversight. Um, and, And we clearly need to do much more training and educate people on this to just make them see, because once you see, you can't unsee, but you first have to see. I think also that... Quite a few people, perhaps in particular in the Western culture, are embarrassed about the notion of gender. So, so they are uncomfortable to discuss even the differences between men and women. And um, I think we should just embrace this. I think there's nothing, you know, it's just a, a fact of life. And uh, there's nothing you know, sort of particularly isn't rocket science here about it. It just is a fact of life. And, 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 and it's an opportunity. You know, here we are. We're at a complete stalemate. And many, 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 many actors coming on board to try and sort something out. 
Um, but we've had this lopsided leadership. We've had mostly men uh, running these negotiations. We have mostly men in in leadership in government and business. You know, it's it's sort of low single digits sometimes for women. Only two to three percent of VC funding goes to women led teams, for example. Only seven percent of FTSE 100 CEOs are women. Um, you know, these are shocking, truly shocking numbers, I think. But they also present a huge opportunity. Here we are at a, at a critical point in time. We need to change things. We all know that. I think everyone acknowledges we have a problem. Humanity has a problem. And this is the opportunity. This is the key to unlock innovation. This is the key to supercharge everything and sort things out. And that's what we want to get to with this campaign. Mm. Namira? I completely agree with what Bianca has said. It's just unfortunate and shameful that having an all-male decision-making table is normal. It's, it's just so shocking that in 2021, that's what normal looks like. And demanding for anything other than that is being progressive or is being sort of revolutionary. So it's, it's utterly shocking um, what we see as normal and what we see as revolutionary in this day and age. So the, the focus of this podcast is on imagination and the need to rapidly scale up our collective imagination so as to be able to be really have the capacity to imagine a low-carbon future as something desirable, something we can really long for. What's your sense of how that overlaps with having greater representation of women in positions like this? Why would a more balanced and inclusive world be a more imaginative one, one in which we're able to see things as if they could be otherwise to a much greater extent? Uh, Namira. So if we have 50% women in the leadership, then we can hope to have the following. And I'll try to divide this on, on different levels. So if you look at climate adaptation initiatives, we would see that these identify and address gender-specific impacts of climate change, particularly in areas related to food security, water security, agriculture, energy security, disaster management, and conflict. So we start seeing the important gender issues associated with climate change adaptation. And again, this leads to inequalities and access to resources um, and access to finance and credit in information and technology. Similarly, when women form 50% of decision-making at again, national and local levels regarding allocation of these resources and finance for climate change initiatives, we would start to see this translated into women's priorities and needs reflected in the development planning and funding. It would then be able to ensure that gender sensitive investments in programs are ensured for climate adaptation, for climate mitigation, for technology transfer, as well as knowledge sharing. And thirdly, we would see funding organizations and development partners around the world that take into account women's specific circumstances um, when developing and also introducing in, uh, technologies related to climate change adaptation and mitigation and work to remove these sort of societal, cultural and economic barriers that constrain women from benefiting and making use of them. So basically, we start seeing in that involving women in the development of new technologies and in making these decisions ensure that these are adaptive, appropriate, 
sustainable and overall more beneficial. Thank you, Bianca. I mean, I, I want to say, I want to thank all the people who have worked on trying to, to sort out climate policy and, and bring meaningful action up until now. But I have to say going forward, I just don't think there's any point doing this without equal involvement of women. There is no point. Just as you wouldn't sail a boat with one eye firmly patched up, you know, particularly if the waters that lie ahead are very choppy, you wouldn't try and solve our civilization's greatest challenge with one eye firmly patched up either. The chances of wrecking the ship are really high. So what we need to do is now we need to take that patch off and then decide the course we want to steer on. That's what we need to get to. And I think Namira summed it up beautifully. And hopefully we can we can explain this to our world's, the current world's leaders, but beyond that, also the many people that vote. For example, we need to vote for women uh, to get them into power. We need to retweet women because women are less likely to be retweeted, for example, on social media. We need to promote women to boards for businesses. In every element of our lives, we need to see women now as decision makers. Now, to free them up to do that, we also need to talk about the role of men, of course. And I would say the role of men would also have to change. Um, but I will leave it to someone else to, to set up a campaign for that. But, you know, we can't, we can't expect women to do everything at home, for example, to care for the young, to care for the elderly. 75% of the world's unpaid care work is, is done by women. Uh, we can't expect that any longer. Um, I think everyone agrees that the social contract is broken. Uh, everything we sort of took for granted in the past uh, has changed. And um, I think we need to account for that. And we need to carve out a whole new way of operating also as a society. Um, we need to think about the future of work uh, and make it sort of the present of work rather more quickly than perhaps we thought. Uh, we need to free up women, but for that, men need to come in, step in, and also take on some of the responsibilities that women have so far carried. And we want employers to look at a future employee and say, well, this is going to be apparent one day. So what do we need to, A, how do we reflect that in the pay? Uh, and what do we have to make available for this parent to carry out the parental duties and still be a valuable employee? At work, um, we need to think about, you know, employees' responsibilities towards their elders at home, perhaps. Um, we just need to think of us as a society, as a whole, and really acknowledge that things have to be moved now. Because just as much as we need to move from words to action on climate, we need to move from words to action on gender as well. So what, what does a feminine perspective or what She Changes Climate have referred to as matriarchal thinking uh, bring to a world that needs to make a lot of big, bold and impactful changes very, very quickly? What qualities have you observed in how women bring about change that we need a lot more of? And I wonder if there might be an example of a project you've been part of or something you've seen where you've really seen that uh, in action. Bianca? I see. So what I find interesting is um, that women are far less um, likely to think of technology as the solution to everything, uh, whereas the male part of a society is clearly championing technology uh, as a sort of, you know, winning force. 
for our problems. I think allergy check on what we can actually expect technology to help with and what not. Uh, I find that women generally support the world's ecosystems more, are, are sort of stronger supporters of the world ecosystems and, and uh, you know, talk more about regeneration uh, of our, our, you know, our oceans, of our forests, of our land. Um, women generally seem to be also more engaged around biodiversity. They understand that biodiversity forms this, they understand this sort of web of life that we talk about, that everything is interconnected, uh, that we are part of nature, a core element of it. And they have this long-term view. So, so they are less hung up on short-time successes and more focused on long-term view of things. And, and perhaps it's got something to do with the fact that as parents, um, women carry the child, the, the sort of budding life for nine months. It's quite a long time to have someone on board. <laughs> and, um, you know, and then are then put in place to to sort everything out around this child as well going forward currently. And, um, you know, that makes us think about the implications for future generations. You know, not we're, we're thinking now beyond just the education of children. We have to think about the, the livelihood that these children, the, the planet that these children will ultimately live on. Um, if you ask me for practical examples, I see that women um, are very dynamic as social entrepreneurs. Uh, I've spoken to many that, but also men. So I don't want to distinguish between the two here because I think that we all carry a male and female element in us, of course. Uh, and, you know, in the healthy, balanced person, uh, those two elements are, are both represented and, and both work in harmony with each other. Um, but I think the I see them very much as drivers for social impact um, ventures, for example. And of course, we need to now enter an era of entrepreneurship. You know, this has to be a new founders uh, era, absolutely. Because why we need to disrupt um, the systems that have that aren't working. Uh, these operating systems, food, energy, transport. We need to disrupt them now. Uh, we need to create new models, new businesses. And I very much see women coming on board here and, and bringing in that view, those ideas, that innovation, you know, taking full account of what's actually going on around us that perhaps we've lacked so far. Namira, any, any thoughts on, how, on where you've seen examples of how matriarchal thinking was able to unlock uh, something new? Just to echo um, what Bianca was saying, it's, it's just so funny to me that the default of this world is um, male default. So just to quote a little bit from Caroline Perez's um, latest book, Invisible Women, it was such an eye opener when it said that, imagine a world where your phone is too big for your hand, your doctor prescribes a drug that is wrong for your body. In a car accident, you are 47% more likely to be seriously injured. And she goes on and on and on. And the important thing to say about this is that the gender data gap is not generally malicious or even deliberate it's the opposite it's just that the way of thinking that we've had around a millennia has been of not thinking of women um, so the default that we see is all male so when you when when you ask this question about you know what would happen in a matrilineal society i would i would start to see a new normal where 
you know, the wisdom of our grandmothers, the wisdom of these, you know, matriarchs is given importance because they're the ones that are passing on knowledge from one generation to the next. They know how communities can flourish in the best way. They know which crops are the best for which season. And moving on, they know what kind of entrepreneurial startups work the best. One example that I absolutely love um, from Pakistan, um, she's a colleague of mine. Her name is Fariel Salahuddin, and she basically worked with the World Bank um, for over a decade, and she left it, and she started her own startup, which allows for a barter between goats and other such investments that local villages would have in in barter it for water or other sort of resources locally and it was only because she was already working with local communities that she's thought of this gap which was beneficial for the community and i and again echoing what bianca said i don't mean to sort of not regard um the work that a lot of men have done it's it's i'm just saying that if this fight against climate change from both men and women. And so we, we would start seeing 50% success stories from women entrepreneurs um, and CEOs and climate change activists. This has been so great. And I feel like we could talk for ages and ages, but we're running out of time. So I wonder if people are listening to this and they want to support the campaign or if they want to really play an active role in bringing about the kind of uh, more ban- more balanced approach to, to inclusion and gender that we've talked about, what can they do? Where can they start? What what tips might you have for people? Namira, maybe let's start with you. Should Bayanka take this just in terms of taking a lead on how people can support She Changes Climate, I assume? I think maybe you could sort of, yeah, maybe Bianca first, and then you could talk more generally about about suggestions. So, yeah, Bianca. So, Rob, the first thing I always suggest people do is sign our petition. Go on to shechangesclimate.org on the internet and please become a signatory of our campaign, whether you're a man or a woman. We're also extremely grateful for supporting statements from, from people, organizations, etc. Again, uh, we have fantastic... Uh, quotes, supporting quotes now from from authors and and uh, Nobel Prize winners and so on. Who, but even you know, if you are a woman at home, like I was uh, when I started out on this, looking after my baby, um, don't think you're insignificant because you are really, really important. Um, and we need you to come on in now to join this battle for a better future. We need you to uh, reach out to your own network and to connect with people within it. We need you to talk about your concern for the environment. We need you to talk about your hopes for the future. Uh, There are many like-minded people out there who will also want to come and work with you. Um, And if you think something's missing, I can't see, uh, you know, something I'd like to see, perhaps consider setting it up like we did with this campaign. Um, every one of us is called to be a founder and it's remarkable what we can achieve even from our kitchen tables. Thank you. Thank you. Namira. At uh, She Changes Climate, our focus is uh, at present getting you know, COP26 to achieve a 50-50 split of men and women in all their diversity in its top level leadership team in the UK. But what I absolutely love about this team of She Changes Climate and what we're demanding is that we we keep the focus that all countries around the world have powerful, experienced, expert 
women who deserve to use their voices and represent their people as part of their COP delegation. So I absolutely love that our campaign calls on all countries to look inward at their um, expertise, their pool of talent that exists, and to include them in the representative um, official delegations that they bring to the UK this year and continuing to all delegations every year. Brilliant. Well, thank you both so, so much and, and for all you do. And I, and I really wish She Changes Climate the very best of success in achieving what needs to be done, which is, I'm sure everyone listening would consider an absolute no-brainer, especially having heard, having heard this. So uh, thank you both so much for joining me here on the podcast today. Thank you so much, Rob. Thank you, Rob. It's a great pleasure to speak to you today. Thank you for, for everything that you do as well in this space. My thanks also to everybody who subscribes and supports this podcast and thanks to Ben Adicott, the Picasso of podcast producers to whom we are always deeply grateful. And please do let us know what you think of this podcast. Uh, We love to hear your thoughts. We'll see you next time. (laughs) 